Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. And once you get your spot there in Galatians 6, I also want you to turn over to James chapter 5. Galatians chapter 6, and then also James chapter 5. And we continue through our study through the book of Galatians. And again, we're in this section here. I think I said Galatians 6, but it's really Galatians chapter 5 that I want you in. And we're in this section here where the Apostle Paul is, is contrasting what the, a life lived under the control of the flesh will look like and what a life lived under the control of the Holy Spirit will look like. And we've considered the works of the flesh, and we're in verse 22, and considering the fruit of the Spirit, and it's sort of a mini-series inside of this series, where we're considering each of these, that, uh, these thoughts, or each of these characteristics that the Spirit of God would produce in the life of somebody whose, whose life is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. What does it look like? And, and we have covered love and joy and peace, and tonight we're going to look at long-suffering. So the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And what a contrast that is between a life that is uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, hatred, Variance, that's quarreling, emulations, wrath, strife. What a difference uh, in what a life looks like. Controlled by the flesh versus under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And physical fruit is an outward evidence of the inward nature of a tree. How do we know that an apple tree uh, is an apple tree? Well, because it produces apples, right? It's, it's the physical fruit is, is evidence of the inward nature of that tree. And so it is in the life of a Christian. If we're walking in the Spirit, the evidence of His Spirit in our life uh, will be spiritual fruit. That's what the Bible tells us. And part of that spiritual fruit that we are considering is this issue of long-suffering. Long-suffering or... Suffering long isn't something that's always easy to do. And I think we can look at examples in the Bible, like Job, for example, and Stephen, and Paul, and of course the life of Jesus himself. We could just go on and on uh, looking at examples, and they're all good examples of those who demonstrated this character quality of being long-suffering. The Christian life... Uh, that we live is not going to be without trouble. And often we associate uh, troubles and trials and suffering together, right? Uh, we, no, we don't like to go through the trials. We don't like to go through the problems. We suffer sometimes. And the Christian life is not going to be without troubles. It's not going to be without trials. It's not going to be without times of heartache. But the Spirit-filled life can endure those times by God's grace and His Spirit in control of our life. The word long-suffering is used 117 times in the Bible, 
It comes from a Greek word that means long patience. It means forbearance. It has the idea or carries the idea of bearing injury or provocation for a long time, being patient. And the Bible does use that word in the Old Testament, but when it does use it in the Old Testament, uh, usually it's, relation, it's in relationship to how God deals with mankind. Isn't that interesting? That God suffers long. God bears long. God is patient with mankind. And so when it's used in the Old Testament, typically it's used in relation to God dealing with us. And this is why it is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God Himself. And so the, the meaning, and you need to keep the meaning in mind as we start to walk through this, it means long patience, it means forbearance, it, it talks about or means bearing injury or provocation for a long time. Patient. Now, how many of you would consider yourself to be a patient person? Go ahead and raise your hand if, if, if you dare. Because <laughs> by the end of the night, you may not think you're a patient person. Okay, nobody here considers themselves to be a patient person. Okay, that's interesting. Or else you're just not raising your hand, one of the two. It's a good question to ask, and maybe you should just ask yourself the question, even if you don't raise your hand. Honestly, do you think yourself to be a patient person? One of the hardest character qualities to learn and one that we never stop learning in this life is patience. And there's two, often two main areas of life that really test or try our patience. You might be able to guess what they are. It's sometimes circumstances of life. They can be very trying to our patience. You might have all your vehicles break down at one time and you might have a leaky roof all at one time and then you might have your boiler go out all at one time and it's all of these things that really try your patience, circumstances sometimes. But the other area is often people. People can try your patience. Uh, you might be the type that easily gets some road rage because you have to drive 45 miles an hour in the construction zone when you really need to get to be where you're going and someone in front of you is making sure that you're driving 45 miles an hour in the speed, in the speed zone. You might be that kind of a person that gets really impatient. Uh, I might be that kind of a person <laughs> who gets really impatient. It's possible there's all kinds of things that try our patience. People try our patience especially when there are people that are very difficult to get along with. You ever had people in your life that it just seems really easy to get along with them? Your personalities just mesh and it's just a great person. You just get along with them real well and it's no problem. And then other times there are people with personalities that you really, really clash with. I see some smiles and smirks and snickering going on all over this place. Yeah. Welcome to humanity, right? We all have them. And isn't it funny how we think that our personality is not the problem? It's the other people who are the problem. Isn't that funny how we think that? Yeah, Chris is like, that is the way it is. Well, we're going to talk about both of those tonight. Circumstances, sometimes circumstances are difficult. 
They go on and on and on and they make, sometimes they make you feel like just giving up. What's the point? It's not worth it anymore, so why try? And then there are people, uh, people can make us feel exactly the same way. <laughs> They're really difficult. They're hard to get along with. I've tried and tried. I just feel like giving up because it's not really worth the fight anymore. And I just feel like I'm at the end of my rope and I just can't take it anymore. You ever felt like that? That's the way life is sometimes. And I think James 5 talks about this idea of long-suffering and patience dealing with both circumstances and with people. So I want you to flip over to James chapter 5. <clears throat> now that I've got your attention, James chapter 5, and I want you to look at verse 7 with me. The Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. There's a lot that's packed in to these verses here, but we're going to talk about this character quality of long-suffering in our life. And it deals, and we're going to deal with mainly these two thoughts, dealing with circumstances and dealing with people. And how the Lord, a life lived under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, will help us endure and be like Christ in this matter of being long-suffering. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll be, dig in here. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight with your word as we expound it and open it up. Lord, I pray that you'd give us an understanding heart and mind, and, and even, Lord, an honest heart and mind as well, uh, that we would examine our life in light of truth and in light of your word. And, Lord, that we would respond uh, rightly to your Spirit. And, Lord, there are always areas of life that we need to be refined in. There's always areas of life that we need to uh, keep going in. And maybe we have a general understanding of it, and we try. Uh, but we're frail in our, and finite in our being. And, Lord, we, we always uh, need to be more controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to yield to you in all these areas of life that you may produce in us uh, Christ's likeness for your glory. And I pray that you'd bless your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice, first of all, in verse 7 here, the admonition to patience. He says in verse 7, "...be patient, therefore, brethren." unto the coming of the Lord. And then he gives an example. And then you go to verse 8, and he says, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. In James here, we find James admonishing his readers, and us as well, towards patience. 
What we need to understand here is that the word that is translated as patient in James 5 is exactly the same Greek word that is translated as long-suffering in Galatians 5.22. All right, so we're talking about this idea of being long-suffering. It's bearing long. It's talking about being patient. And so it's the same word that is being used here. And we find here some examples, and we find that there are some people that are mentioned here that really suffered some adversity in their life. Notice how he says in verse 10, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. And then he says, We count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And we know Job's life. And so what we find here is that there are some people that are used as an example by James that are an example of adversity in their life. And often adversity is God's opportunity to build character and develop Christ's likeness in our life. God often uses this kind of an avenue, and he'll use those two avenues, the circumstances or the adversity, and also people, difficult circumstances and people to build Christ's likeness and character. Now we look at verse 11, and, and, and James says, uh, you've heard of the patience of Job, and you've seen the end of the Lord, that he is pitiful and of tender mercy. We ought to consider the life of Job for a second. And we would all agree, uh, we've talked about him a lot lately, or used him as an example a lot lately, but we would all agree that what Job went through in his life, at least up till now, is far more than what you and I have ever gone through in our life. The word translated as patience here, now notice verse 11, you've heard of the patience of Job. That's probably the third or fourth time that the word patient has been used in just a matter of a few verses here. This word, patience, is a little bit different than the others in the text. The others mean to be long-spirited or to forbear. And this word, concerning Job, it means the same thing, but it's directly related to enduring those circumstances with cheerfulness. So you add on something, it's more than just enduring life's trials. I can endure some life's trials and I can walk through it like, oh, I hate my life. And I get through it on the other side and I endured it, right? I'm still here, I'm not dead. But there's a big difference between enduring life's trials and doing it with cheerfulness. That's what this means. Consider Job and the life that he lived and how you've heard of the patience of Job. He, can, he went through the life trial, not just enduring it, but also with some cheerfulness. How is that possible? How in the world is that possible? Well, it's not possible without the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God. It deals with the attitude of the heart while dealing with life trials. Does that make sense? It's the attitude of the heart, and he uses Job as that illustration. Let's just look at a couple passages. Keep your place and go to Job chapter 13. 
Job chapter 13. And look at verse 15. Job says this concerning his lot in life. He says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Look at verse 18. Behold, now I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Look at the attitude of Job's heart in the middle of his trial. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Look at Job chapter 19. In verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. What perspective Job had. Yeah, life's full of trouble. And life's full of trial, but someday I'm going to see my Savior. Someday I'm going to see His face. What an amazing attitude He had toward what He was experiencing in life. Look at uh, Job chapter 23. Job 23, and look at verse 10. But He knoweth the way that I take when He hath tried me. I shall come forth as gold. What perspective Job kept, what an amazing attitude he still had in, faith, in spite of what he was experiencing in life. And so we, we have that example here, but let me make the application because the application is right where we live. How often do we let circumstances affect our mood in our attitude. I was kind of dealing with some of it today. <laughs> I told somebody before church, like, you may not want to be here for this message tonight. But I want you to know that whatever I say, it's pointed directly at me. It's not at anybody else. This is for me tonight. That's a true statement. That's a true thing. How often do we let circumstances affect our mood and our attitude? Some, because... They don't have what they want. They're not getting their way. Uh, they'll feel sorry for themselves. Other times people get bitter and get angry because things aren't going the way that they want them to go or how they think they should go. Sometimes people develop a pretty rotten spirit about them rather than a joyful and an edifying spirit because circumstances are hard. And it's affected my attitude, and it's affected my mood. You know what? Trials are hard. They are. Welcome to the club. But we're admonished to endure with the right heart attitude, enduring with cheerfulness, while trusting the Lord, because the Lord is always good. What did it say about God in James chapter 5? Regarding Job... You've heard of the patience of Job, but then it said, you've seen the Lord and how good and gracious and kind and tender he is. Notice that? Go back to James chapter 5. <clears throat> and look in verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. 
you've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. What, what was Job's end? Here, that's the direct context here. How did God relate to Job in the end? What was Job's end? Job's end was twice as much as he had before, and he had a lot to begin with. What kind of God do we have? It tells us that God is pitiful and of tender mercy. God often allows circumstances that are hard to bear, but it's in order to teach us some valuable spiritual lessons along the way, but God never leaves us languishing at the end. God never leaves us languishing at the end. And you know what? We, we live in a world in, in, in America where things actually are pretty easy. Life is pretty easy for us compared to other places. And you go to other places and other parts of the world, you see how people live and it's like, you know what? I don't have anything to complain about, but we sure find a lot of things to complain about. I know I do. Life is actually pretty easy and pretty good for us. Plus, the Bible tells us that we'll never, ever be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're actually kind of weak and pitiful. We, can't really, we don't really suffer very long, do we? We want it easy, and we want, we want it uh, quick, and we, we want life to be you know, smooth, and we don't want to have to do hard things. Yeah, I know. I don't either, buddy. I don't either. But that's how we want it. But you know what? We ought to be armed with the knowledge that God is good all the time and God's character never changes. And we can endure patiently, cheerfully, knowing that whatever the trial is, is always for our good and for His glory. And I just need to simply yield to Him and submit to Him. Sometimes there are things in life that are just out of our control. Go back to verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren. So there's the admonition toward patience. Unto the coming of the Lord. And then notice he says, Behold the husbandman. Here's the example. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. You know what? He has no control over whether or not it's going to rain. The husbandman sows his seed. He's waiting for the fruit of the earth. That rain is so necessary to bring in that crop, but he has absolutely no control over whether or not it's going to happen. Sometimes there are things in life that we just cannot control. We've got to wait. And we've got to have patience. We can have an expectation but it's not in our control. The answer to that is in verse 8. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Trust in God. Establish your heart. Be patient. That's what he's talking about. You know what? Uh, the Lord is going to come. That means that the trials, even if the trials last an entire life long, they're going to come to an end. They're not permanent. It's unto the coming of the Lord. This life is short and it's temporal. It's not forever. Neither are the trials. Now look at verse 9. So those are the circumstances. 
being patient during trials and circumstances. But what about the second part? And sometimes this can be the most trying of all, people. Verse 9 says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Here he's talking about or admonishing uh, toward patience, not only with circumstances, but also with people. People can be just as difficult or more difficult than life circumstances. God can use all kinds of people and all kinds of personalities to build us and to grow us. Now here's, I'm going to break something to you that you probably don't know. I'm going to really shock you with this one. Okay? Everybody listening? All of us need our personalities developed more. Not more of me, but more into the image of Jesus Christ. Not one of us has it down, has the perfect personality, has the right way of thinking and everything. We all need our personalities developed more, and all of us need more Christ-likeness in our lives when it comes to living with and dealing with people. There are no perfect people. I shock you with that one, too. We say, well, I know that. But we also need to understand that while we say there are no perfect people, that statement goes both ways. <laughs> it goes with people out there, and it also goes with this guy here. Does that make sense? Like, we, the way that we think about ourselves so often is not very accurate. And the way that we like to uh, handle or deal with ourselves when it comes to things is also not very accurate. For example, you know, I could be the one who's messing up and offending other people, and I could go to them and say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect person. You ever heard people say that? What is that? Usually a justification. It's usually like, I want to soften this. I'm not a perfect person. You should understand that. It's very convenient to say that when we're cutting ourselves some slack, right? But when it comes to others, we so often skip over the fact that other people aren't perfect either, and we don't cut them the same slack. We shouldn't be surprised when people mess up, or when people don't act right, or when they fail, or when they say or do the wrong things. But we often hold a double standard. A double standard in the fact that we judge others for their failures, write them off, they messed up, so on, etc., etc. And we might like to, you know, talk about that once or twice with some other people, but we sit in condemnation and judgment over them while overlooking our own faults as if somehow we don't have the same ones or, or others that are of the same caliber. People are like that sometimes. And sometimes people are like, well, if my faults and my sins and my failures are being highlighted by somebody else, we start to get defensive. I was doing that very same thing today, getting defensive when, when a shortcoming of my own was being highlighted. And it's like, you know what? You got to stop and you have to listen and you have to examine 
in light of somebody else's perspective because my own is not always accurate. We get defensive. We, who are you to talk? Or we'll say, well, you do this. Or that's none of your business. Or you're just being judgmental. Don't you understand? And you know what? We can, we can end up being pretty hypocritical in that vein. It's not all, what I'm saying is it's, it's not always easy to be patient with people because sometimes people just seem to be pretty difficult and difficult on purpose even. But patience with people is the prevailing thought here. And I always think, how patient has the Lord been with me? The right attitude is something like this. People aren't perfect. Neither am I. People mess up. So do I. I'm not better than anybody else. And if it wasn't for God's grace in my own life, I would have already failed most miserably. I think we can check it. We can check it by examining what our tendency is. And if our first response or our tendency to something that somebody has done or said that we don't particularly care for, if our tendency is to badmouth them, if our tendency is to judge their motives without actually knowing what their motives are, or even knowing all the circumstances, that indicates that there's actually a heart issue right there. It's not suffering long or being long-suffering or patient like the Lord is with us. I want you to look at these, some of these words and some of these phrases and see their meanings, okay? I'm almost done here. Look at verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren. That word patient, it means long-spirited. It means forbearing. It's the same word as long-suffering, as I already told you. But it has the idea of forbearing a long time, being long-spirited. And we need to remember that the Lord is long-suffering and patient with us. That same word is used a multitude of times in the Bible, illustrating how God views and deals with people. For example, 2 Peter chapter 3. You know this verse, but you can just flip over there since we're really close. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We all deserve judgment. That whole context is about the judgment of God. God is going to bring judgment on sin. But the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering to usward. And he's not willing that people perish, but that people come to repentance. That's why he is waiting to bring judgment, so that people can be saved. And so the word is used a multitude of times in the, in the, in the Bible, referring to how God deals with us. Um, notice, go back to our, our text. And he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Um, and we, we, looked, we were looking in 2 Peter chapter 3, and you, you find the word forbearing. Uh, it's part of the definition of long-suffering, to be forbearing. 
forbearing with people. It means to be long-tempered with people. So you've got this idea of being long-spirited, forbearing, being long-forbearing with people. Why? Why should we bear along? Because people aren't perfect. Because people make mistakes. People sin. So do I. They'll often rub us the wrong way. People will often irritate us. People will often say and do things that are different than our way of doing. Do you ever get irritated with other people because they don't think the same as you? Or they got a different way of doing things than you do? Do you ever criticize people and grumble and complain about people because they do things differently than you do? Do you sit in judgment over people because they think and do things differently than you do? Where does that come from? It comes from pride. It's not an attitude that is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. How do we combat that tendency in our life? Well, we need to, we need to first realize that, that my way of thinking is not the only way of thinking. And realize that I'm not special in that regard. Like my own view of things is the way it should be because listen I've got failures and I've got faults and I've got sins too it leads that kind of a spirit or that kind of an attitude leads to being critical it leads to being judgmental and it leads to not seeing ourselves how we actually really are and pride is the root of that attitude even though sometimes People think differently and do things differently. We should still be able to treat others rightly and have the right kind of attitude of of humility toward them rather than sit in judgment over them. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. You know, we, we get judgmental over people when we've got this big, huge beam sitting in our own eye. That's hypocrisy. So he says... Be patient, but then he says, unto the coming of the Lord. That gives us some perspective here of, 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 of time and duration. Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. The duration. How long should we be patient? Well, there should never be a time when we stop being long-suffering and patient. You know what? There are times when we just want to give up. We want to stop trying. I've tried. I've tried and tried. But it doesn't seem like it gets anywhere so I'm gonna quit trying you ever felt like that with people yeah but it tells us unto the coming of the Lord so when is the time that we should stop being forbearing and patient right as long as some things in life seem to go on maybe we're dealing with circumstances it just seems like it goes on and on and on and on as long as some things may seem to go on it will come to an end when the lord comes and it might be sooner than we think because verse 8 tells us that the coming of the lord draweth nigh sooner than we think it's hard for us to remember that time is insignificant compared to eternity. So it's difficult for us to face those things sometimes. But the admonition is to be patient. Hang on. 
and trust in the character of the Lord. He also talks about establishing your heart. Verse 8, be, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. That comes from a Greek word that means to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. And, and I want you to get the principle down for life here because it gives us some great perspective for circumstances and dealing with people. Sometimes circumstances seem miserable. Yes, but it doesn't mean that we should be miserable in our attitude. Sometimes people are also miserable. They just seem to be negative all the time. Some people are so controlled by their feelings that when circumstances go bad, so does their attitude. I'm telling you, I've been fighting that myself lately. It's something the Lord is dealing with me about. The result of that kind of response is that everybody's always walking on eggshells around you because they, they don't want to offend you. They don't know what to, how to respond because they're afraid of your reactions. I'll just be straightforward with you. <laughs> we don't need to be moody and grumpy and have a bad attitude about life circumstances. There's actually no reason to. Not when we're trusting the Lord. But how often is that the case? If we're walking in the Spirit, the heart is to be established. It's set fast, turned resolutely toward the Lord. And that's the right perspective. If you're saved, praise the Lord. The Lord's coming soon. We're going to be out of this mess, right? That's always the best perspective to keep in mind. This is hard, but the Lord's coming soon and I'm going to be out of this mess. And the Lord's going to set the record straight when the time is right. When it comes to dealing with people, He's talking about establish your hearts. Let me ask you a question. Do you like it when people lie about you? I've not ever known anybody that just loves it when people tell lies about them. Has anybody ever spread rumors about you that aren't true? Yep. I just love it when that happens. You get accused of things that you didn't do. People say, oh, that's suspect, and they start coming up with all kinds of rumors. It's hurtful. It can be. You ever had anybody jump to conclusions about you? Judge your motives when they don't really know? I'm sure you have. I think we've all been there. It's not pleasant, but that's part of life. And the fleshly response is that we want to fight back. The fleshly response is that we want to set the record straight, right? The fleshly response is that we want to go to them and tell them how wrong they are and actually point out their flaws too. But that's not the godly response. The admonition is for patience with people because we all have problems. We're all sinners. And you know what? In the end, at the end of the day, and when the Lord comes, the truth is always going to be vindicated. Truth will always be vindicated in the end. So we should do right. We should follow the Lord. We should trust Him no matter what anyone is doing or saying about you. 
And then notice verse 9, and I'll be done. He says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. That word grudge there, grudge not one against another, it's a Greek word that actually means to murmur, to groan. So he's talking about don't murmur one against another. It's easy to nitpick. It's easy to find fault with people. We all have faults. We all have flaws. And I've got a bunch more that you don't even know about. (laughs) It's very easy to do. Usually, though, when a a person is that kind of a person, where they're they're just nitpicky, and they're always looking to find a fault with other people, it's usually that they're not busy serving the Lord themselves. Or they're not pursuing after a close relationship with the Lord themselves. That's why they have the time and the ambition to murmur and to grumble about things and about other people, especially in the church. There are people who sit back. There are people who criticize. Yes, that's the way it is in life sometimes. And many times, the people who sit back and criticize, they're never the ones who are offering a lending hand to help find a solution for the problem. They just like to talk about the problems. So they go home and they grumble. Well, the Bible says, murmur not one against another, brethren. Don't do that. Keep the right perspective here as well. He says, why? He says, lest ye be condemned. Did you notice that part? We like to skip over that part. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. The judge standeth at the door. Who's the real judge at the end of the day? It's God. The Lord is coming soon. And the question is, how is He going to find you? If we walk in the Spirit and we submit to the Holy Spirit, we'll find the fruit of the Spirit of God is what will result in our life. And part of that fruit is being long-suffering and patient with each other and with circumstances in life. One day, we're going to regret it if we're not right with Him as we ought to be when we stand before Him and we give an account of our own life. And so the admonition is, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? And when you walk in the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit of God produces in our life is patience, long-suffering, with circumstances and with people. Lord, help me. Lord, help us all, amen, to be like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for its truth and for uh, the instruction in righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not be hearers only, but doers. Lord, to not let it in one ear and out the other. Not to, well, that's not really how I see things in my life. I'm good. But Lord, to be honest with the Scriptures, be honest with ourselves, be honest with the Lord, to do some self 
examination. Examine yourselves. And Lord, when there are areas of my life that, that need to be adjusted, where they're not under the control of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that tender response, to yield again, and Lord, to let you have full control in our life. Remind us of principles. Remind us of truth. And Lord, I pray that our heart would be, Lord, I just want to be yielded to you, that you'd make me like Christ. Thank you for the time here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.